Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Chafav. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas Azriel ben Yaakov. Sarah Chayna bas Kalman Akoyin, Ruvain ben Shraga, David ben Shraga, and Chana bas Ruvain. May the Neshamas have an aliyah. May the memory be a blessing. Um, it's also for a full shleima of um, Abraham ben Shlova or ben Chayachayke and Pinchas Kalman ben Rivka. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. Okay, I think let's go from the fifth last thin line on Chofham with Bayes 25b. So, again, it was discussing there, so, I mean, yesterday's death started with the discussion of can you elevate someone you, sued, you see do Birkas Kohanim to, um, to allow them to serve in the base of Mitash. It does definitely seem to be good, it seems to be a good enough chazoka um, that they can eat truma, discussion truma dorai, so truma drabonin, but we didn't prove that it was good enough to elevate them to and then we went on um, that we brought cases where um, the first one was with Rebbe, the second one was with Rebbe Yeshua ben Levi, I think it was, who elevated people, gave them a chazok of being a kind and a Levi based on the aliyah they got in shul. So now there's a Rebbe, a Rebbe Chia, Chad Hele ben Alpi Ovid Lekuhuna, Vachad Hele Ach Alpi Ochi. Lilivia. There's a, but Arabia and Rebbe Chia, there, were, there was two cases. One of them elevated someone based on his father's testimony to give him a chazaka as a kohen, and one elevated a brother based on his bro- on, on who is knowing who his brother was to be considered a levi. So we have two different scenarios. Now we're going to try to work out which one was Rebbe and which one was Rebbe Chia. So let's we can conclude that it must have been Rebbe was the one who said who elevated the son based on his father's testimony. Why? Detanya we learned in a who If someone comes along and says, This is my son and he's a Kohen, I imagine the scenario obviously not the standard case where a child's born into a normally a normal family. Otherwise, why do why do we have this question? It must have been either no one knew that this guy, maybe he, no one knew that this was his son, it was a mistress or someone, something like that, or they rocked up uh, from who knows where, not looking very similar, and he says, no, this is my, look, I've got proof I'm a coin, and this is my son, and he's a coin, something along those lines. Neman, um, so the Gomorrah says, Neman la truma, neman la isha. He's believed to feed him truma, i.e. we can trust that he's a coin in regards to giving him truma, however, we can't believe him to allow him to marry a regular Jew. Rebbe, that's Rebbe's opinion. I quite extreme. Even though we trust the father to treat him, that we can now treat him as a kohen regarding giving him truma, we still have our suspicions that maybe he's a mamzer or a sin. I guess again, this random woman had a child and all of a sudden this guy is coming along saying, yes, that's my child. He has a very suspected lineage. But isn't it a contradiction that a father can give testimony? Oh, very good brother. question, very good question. We'll see that soon. Yeah, good question. So, so Amru Loi Rebbe Chia Imatom Aminu Laachilu Betruma Taminu Laatsiel Es Isha. Imatom Aminu Laatsiel Es Isha Loi Taminu Laachal Betruma. Rebbe Chia challenged Rebbe. He says, Wait, it doesn't make sense. If you trust the father that you allow him to eat truma, then trust the father that you allow him who he can marry. 
the father says he's a good Jew, let him marry a regular Jewess. And if you don't trust the father regarding who he can marry, how can you trust the father to um, eat truma? So Omar says, well, I trust him that we can give him truma to eat because the father has the power to give him truma to eat. The father has the status as a kohed. Therefore, people are going to be giving the father truma and the father in his house gives truma to who he wants. So he is in his power to give his son truma. Therefore, there's almost no point to not believe him in that case. But I don't accept, I don't trust him in regards to believe that he is um, that who his son can marry because it's not in his power to marry off his son uh, he can't uh, he can do it as an agent of his son but he can't I guess he can't create a marriage for his son um, so to stay home, it seems pretty conclusive based on that discussion that it was Rebbe who was the one who said permitted a son based on the father oh what about how can we rely on a father to testify about his son remember we're not it's not like real testimony, it's more to give this child the status of a kohen. And it seems in that aspect we can trust the father. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you don't need proper aiders in this case, so therefore we can trust the father, almost not as a witness, but as, well, the father will do it anyway, so let's, we might as well go along with it. And for Rebbe, then we said, so we, we, remember we brought two cases, we said between Rebbe and Rebbe Chia, one of them elevated a son based on his father's, Statements. Let's not call it testimony. Let's call it that statement. And one elevated a brother based on what, on knowing who his brother was. So we just said, okay. So it must have been Rebbe was the one who elevated the son based on his father's statement. So the Gemara then challenges him. Rebbe hala ben al pi achiv lekohuna. Rebbe chia hela ach al pi achiv lelevia. The fact that it was Rebbe who elevated the son through his father to kohuna must have been Rebbe chia who elevated the brother. Through his brother to be a levi, Rabbi Chia Maishna Law. So why did Rabbi Chia not, or would not? Why did Rabbi Chia say no? I would rely on a brother to elevate another brother to his status, but not on a father to elevate his son. It says must be the korafu eitzalafi because he's his father's relative. Says, well, achnami korafu eitzalafi. Well, a brother is also his brother's relative, so that can't be the reason why he doesn't. Allow it. So he says, no, but the case was where he was speaking innocently. I'll, I'll explain that further, but let's just do the story. It will help us clarify it. And he says, Omar like the case of, like where Yehuda said, there's a case where a man was just telling over a story. is not where someone tells you something so that you can act on it. I am a Kohen, so give me Rishon, I'm a Kohen. Give me truma, or he's a kohen. You can give him truma. That's more like testimony. However, there's meisiach lefi truma. Let me tell you a story. Um, yeah, the other day I was in shul, and so and so got rishon, and so and so got shani. You know, it's the same. Uh, it's the same guy who gets levi every week. You weren't telling me that so that I 
as proof for his life, you're telling me a nice story about who gets the different aliyahs in shul, how they uh, prioritize people. So that, that's speaking innocently. Again, his goal is not to tell you something, but his goal is to... Uh, um, is to... Uh, is to tell your story. And that's and, and in some ways that's more reliable. Because if he's trying to tell you something, then he has an agenda. His agenda is to let his son eat trauma or to let his son marry a certain woman or to um, get his friend elevated to a good position. You know, then he has an agenda. That's why he's testifying, that's why he's telling you these things. But if he's just telling you a story, he has no agenda. So it actually gives a level of credibility to what he's saying. On the other hand, I guess what I mean, that's why we generally take Messiah Lefi Tumai's, it adds a level of credibility. I was just thinking, on the other hand, if someone knows they're giving testimony, they might be more careful about lying. If I'm just telling you a story, I'll exaggerate, I'll uh, add in a few lines that make it more funny. So I guess the advantage is either way, and you have to weigh it up. But we generally take, here we're taking Messiah Lefi as a reason to trust him more. He's not here to tell you why. I'm proving he's a, a lady or he's a client. I just want to tell you a story. And through the story, we work out some information. So what was the story? There was a guy standing over the story. I remember when I was a young boy and I was uh, riding on my father's shoulders. I remember when I was a young boy and I was at school and my father took me out of school and they took off my clothes and they threw me in the mikveh so that I could eat truma that night. And Rabbi Chia finished telling over the story, and, I mean, this is the Kohen carrying on with his story, and my friends used to actually separate from me. Yochanan, the one who eats Chala. I remember Chala is the portion of the dog that eats given to the Kohen, but it has the same status as Shuma. And Rabbi said he can be a Kohen based on this story. Uh, just a few interesting lines. Um, in short, the child, he's just telling me, he says, I remember, yeah, I used to get to bank school to go to the mikvah. No fun story. Um, ah, wait, you used to bank school so you could, they would take you to the mikvah so you could eat trauma. That's good proof you're a kohen. But again, that wasn't his goal to say, look, I'm a kohen. I used to, I'm a kohen and you must accept me as a kohen because I used to go to mikvah. That wasn't his goal. His goal is to tell the fun story about when he used to bunk school. And they ask, why does it emphasize that, Rotosa's point out here, why does it emphasize that he went to school? Just say, I used to, uh, why is it part of, just say, I used to go to mikvah and, and I'd ride on my father's shoulders to go to mikvah so I could eat truma. So Tosos points out, because slave, a slave of a kohen can also eat truma, but a slave would never be sent to school and would never learn Torah. So therefore, by saying that he went to school, he said that he was actively taught Torah, and that would only be um, if he was a regular Kohen, not a slave. And another point is, why were they particular to always take their children to Mikvah? Rashi points out, because children uh, play around in, uh, with insects and animals and things, and they most likely in rubbish heaps, and therefore they most likely touched uh, Tuma. So that's Messiah Lefitumah. Just another example of Messiah Lefitumah. There's a discussion um, in the beginning of the laws of Basa Bacholov. So I don't want to get uh, into the technicalities, but strictly speaking, remember, meat and milk is only a problem if they cook together Doraisa. And obviously also if you can only taste it. If, you, if there's so little milk in the meat dish that you can't taste it, strictly speaking, it's not a problem. But now if it's milk that fell into a meat dish, you can't have a Jew taste it. Because if the Jew tastes it, then 
he might be eating long kosher, uh, meat and milk mixed together. It would be similar if, I guess, long kosher fed into a dish. So what do you do? You get a non juicy taste. But then you run into problems with the non juicy Firstly, can we trust him? Can we trust his testimony? I mean, we don't accept non juicy as witnesses, etc. So the one thing is, no, we must see us with tomorrow. Ask him, say, in your expert opinion, can you tell the secret ingredient in this dish or whatever? And he'll taste it carefully, and that will give, uh, he'll taste it carefully, and that will give credibility. Again, he's not there to tell you whether he can taste milk in the dish. He's there to tell you what flavors he can taste. And by the way, he'll might tell, oh, there's milk in it, there's butter, there's uh, no, 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 milk, no dairy in this dish. And then you can work out whether it's meat or milk. I mean, there, there's an added factor that some, some expect, that, and it can't just be any non-Jew, it must be a kfela, a, a chef, because then he has his reputation at stake, so he's not going to lie. So some say maybe a, a, a chef's reputation, not wanting to ruin his reputation is more reliable, and some say maybe that would be too more. No, just innocently telling you um, what he thinks of the dish and whether he can taste uh, certain ingredients um, would be better. So that's just interesting. Another example of Messias Refi Tuma. Carrying on, Tanya we learned in the Bright Rebishum Ben Elozor, I make a shame she Truma Chazok Lekuhuna, Kach Maserishim Chazok Lekuhuna. Just as Truma gives a Kohen a Chazoka, uh, gives someone a Chazoka that is a Kohen, so to Maserishim gives someone a Chazoka that is a Kohen. And someone who's distributed, we're going to assume truma in Beisdin is not a chazaka. Now the Gemara is going to obviously wait. Beisdin are distributing truma, and someone receives that truma, that's not a good proof that they're kohen. That sounds very difficult. We'll come back to that. Um, but now the Gemara is going to challenge the first line. We said that. Remember, when a farmer gets his grainness, uh, sorry, a farmer harvests and then he shreds, uh, shred, uh, threshes, his produce, etc., and then he piles it into a pile, and now he separates truma, the first bit of truma that has to go to the kohen, and it's kodesh, and only a kohen can eat it. It's after that, he takes 10% and gives that, well, we always assume he gives that to the levi. But here we just said he gives it to the kohen. So there's two machlokas we're going to see, and one is, yeah, can, does he give it to the levi or the kohen, or either? And the second machlokas that's going to become relevant in this discussion can anyone eat masrum? Just we know truma. No matter who has the truma and who the truma is given to, and even if it's sold to someone, only kohanim, yes, and their property can eat truma. However, maser does maser rishon have kedusha? Can only levim and kohanim eat it, or can even the Yisrael eat it? Let's say a levi was given maser and he prepared food and he has visitors. Can they eat from that maser? Or not. So those are two things to keep in mind. But so now the Gemara asks, Maserishon to Levi who? How can you elevate someone to say he's a Kohen because he had Maserishon? That goes to the Levi. So the Gemara asks, no, Kerebi Lezer ben Azariah, the Tanya, like Kerebi Lezer ben Azariah, as we learned in the Bible, Truma le Kohen, Maserishon, Levi divre, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says that Truma goes to the Kohen and Maserishon to the Levi. Rabbi Elozer ben Azariah, Oimeher, Maserishon, Afla Kohen. Rabbi Elozer ben Azariah says, not Maserishon, is also given to a kohen. Now, ah, Amut Omar Rebbe Lozah ben Azariah Afla kohen, le kohen velo levi ni Omar. Okay, so fine. So we see that Rebbe Lozah ben Azariah says that Maserishon can be given to a levi or a kohen. But we don't see that he holds it has to be given to a kohen. So again, it doesn't help. We say, you see someone eat Maser, our Bryce says, you see someone eat Maserishon, you can prove must be he's a kohen. 
No. Firstly, contrary Akiva definitely could be a Levi. But even on contrary Belezim and Azariah, he says, Master Rishon can be given to a Kohen, and it can be given to a Kohen or a Levi. So it's a proof that he's from the tribe of Levi, but it's not proof that he's a Kohen. So in Basit Takansu, Ezra, we're discussing after Ezra penalized the Levim. Ezra, and not many Levim went up from Babel, so Ezra penalized them and said that the Master must be given to a Kohen and not a Levi. But look, sometimes they would still give Master to, to a Levi if the Levi wasn't there, if there was no Kohen around. So maybe this is the granted you're supposed to give your Master to a Kohen. There was no Kohen around, so they gave it to the Levi. That's no proof that he's a Kohen. So, we know that his father is a Kohen. But there's a rumor that he's a Ben Grusha or Ben Chalutza. So, okay, so the case is we know his father's a Kohen. Now what? But, so why aren't we certain that he's a Kohen? This, this boy, if his father was a Kohen, isn't he a Kohen? No, there's a rumor that he's a Ben Grusha or Ben Chalutza. Remember that makes a Kohen is not allowed to marry a divorced woman, which makes the son a Chalal. A Chalal has the same status as a Yisrael. So now we're going to show, again, by the fact that we knew this man's father was a Kohen, and he um, and the rumor is that he's a brand Grusha ben Chalutza, what else could he be basically? It says, And they gave him Maser in the granary. So he says, Now, Levi, if you want to suggest that he's a Levi, will the love Levi have a? He can't be a Levi because his father was a Kohen. So he's obviously not a lady. So my Ben Grusha Ben So maybe you want to say that the rumors that he's a son of a divorced woman or a Chalutzid woman, I so he's a he's, he's like a Israel. It says We don't even have to come on to the opinion who says that a non Kohen or lady is not allowed to eat. Masirishan they would never give it to him. Again, remember, the son of a Kohen. Who's the son of a coin and a divorced woman is a halal. He's basically a Yisrael. So if you hold Maser can only be eaten by Levim or Kahanim, they definitely wouldn't give it to him. Says, but even according to the opinion that anyone can eat Maser Rishon, that's regarding eating it. But regarding distributing it, they're only going to give it to a Levi or a Kohen. So because, so when you go, obviously, again, Masirishon, even in this opinion, even though it has no special Kedusha, it has to be given to a Levi. It's the Levi's property. Once the Levi gets it, he can do what he wants so that he can feed it to as regular Yisraelim, etc. But, so this guy, again, we know his father's a Kohen. The only issue is, is he a Ben Grusha Chalutza. So if he was given Maser, he's definitely a kosher Kohen. Again, why? He can't be a Levi because his father was a Kohen. And interesting, even though Levis don't have this concept of halal, their um, a halal is not a Levi. Even though he's from the tribe of Levi, he has the status of Israel. So he can't be. So he can't be a Levi because his father was a Kohen. He can't be a Israel because then they would never distribute Maser to him. So he must be a Kohen. That's why that case, because he was a, because they gave him Maser Rishon, he got this chazaka of a coin. Okay, now we're going on to the next line in the price. It says, Someone who is distributed truma in the Beisdin is not a chazaka. 
So the Gemara asks, oh, if a base din, lo chazaka, If under the jurisdiction or auspices of the base din, giving someone truma is not a good proof, well then what is a good proof? Okay, we've been assuming up until here, most of these sugyas, that when you give someone truma, when you distribute truma to them, that's a good proof that they're a kohen. Here it's done under the auspices of Beisdin. That's even a stronger proof because Beisdin are going to make sure that the people they distribute truma to are proper kohanim. Why else would you need a Beisdin? So, so what's going on here? So Omar of says, Hachikomar. says, this is what it's saying. What he's saying is if they not that they're distributing truma, it's that they splitting an inheritance of the father in Beisdin. That is not considered a chazaka. Uh, let's say the father has a few sons from a few wives, and one of his wives, one of his sons, is accused of being a ben grusha. They say, yeah, your father had a few good wives, and we're his sons, and we're good kahanim. But your, our father, when our father married your mother, she was divorced, and therefore you're a chalal. Now the father dies and they're dist- distributing his property. So even if they give him truma as part of his inheritance, that is no proof that he's a kahim. That's what we're saying. So Moran's like, Pshita, obviously. He's not getting truma because he's a kohen who deserves to eat it. He's getting truma as a share in his father's inheritance. Each of the brothers got uh, 10 sacks of flour. They split the flour innocently. So... so it's no proof that he's a kohen. He says, no. no, maybe since they were giving the sons who were, who were actual kohanim to eat it, so too they gave it to him to eat it. I think another way of phrasing this is, um, why, if he wasn't a kohen, they would have given him other assets instead of truma. By the fact that they're giving him truma, it must be to allow him to eat it. So again, their motivation is not we're distributing truma and we're only going to distribute truma amongst Kohanim. Their objective is to dis- distribute property of the father, split it amongst the brothers. But maybe by the fact that they're giving him truma, must be because he's allowed to eat it. Otherwise, they wouldn't give the truma to him. Because any, and, uh, some take it a step further. What's he going to do with the truma? He can't eat it, so he's going to sell it. You're not going to give truma to someone to then end up in the marketplaces. Like disrespectful to the holy truma. So, No, it's coming to teach us that we treat it as if he, they were giving it to eat and he was giving it to sell. Ah, the reason they gave him truma again is not because he's a coin and can eat it, but because he gets a share in his father's inheritance. I guess there will be many times when you're distributing the, the food in your father's uh, warehouse or whatever. Um, store storeroom and maybe there's a lot of truma and only a little bit of chulin so they can't give him only chulin they also have to give him truma so but again being getting truma as part of inheritance is no proof that you're a kohen that's what the Gemara is saying okay Rebihuda says we don't elevate someone to be a kohen based on the testimony of a single witness now we're basically going back we're going back to the Mishnah and there were three. Um, there were three opinions. There was Rabbi Yehuda said, We don't elevate someone to the kohuna based on the testimony of one witness. Ah, you need two witnesses. Then Omar Rabbi Elazar, a Mosai. When do we not trust this one witness? Sorry, I'm going back and just reading the Mishnah. But b'mokom sheyesh oirin. When there are people protesting or challenging his status as a kohen, 
we do elevate him based on the testimony of a single witness. So again, so for the first thing, that's the important one. Rebelezer says, where there's someone protesting his kahuna, that's where you need two witnesses. But if there's no one protesting his kahuna, one witness is sufficient. Now Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Omer Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, in the name of, yeah, Omer Mishum Rabbi Shimon ben Haskan, Malin Lekun Alfi Eid we do elevate someone to kahuna based on one witness. Now the Gemara also, so those last two opinions we had, Rabbi Lazo and Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Rabbi Lazo says, we only rely on one witness where there's no protest, and Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, we elevate someone based on a witness. So the Gemara asks, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Hanin Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel is the same as Rabbi Lazar. The, the, they explain because it's inconceivable that Rabbi Gamliel would hold. Someone stands up and says they're a Kohen. And there's rumors against him that he's a Ben Grusha, that he's not a Kohen. Why would we believe one witness? It can't be that we believe one witness in the face of a challenge. So... So by the fact, so it must be when Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says that we elevate someone based on one witness where there is no challenge, which is exactly what Rabbi Eliezer said. So Gemara says, Maybe you'll say that it's where there's only one witness opposing his status as a Kohen. To Rabbi Eliezer holds even where there's only one witness. Sorry. Um, yeah, and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says it's only considered a protest if they're two witnesses. So that's us, and now maybe that's the difference. Okay, you're allowed to, both opinions, Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says you can elevate a Kohen based on one witness unless there's opposition. So Rabbi Lazar would hold unless there's opposition of just one person, you still can't elevate him based on one witness. And Rabbi Shimon Kamil says, no, it's only if there's opposition of two people. I, two people stand up and say, he's not a Kohen. We know his mother was a divorced woman or whatever the scenario is. So, Rabbi Yochanan, but Rabbi Yochanan says, No, Rabbi Yochanan says, it's never considered a protest and opposition if they're less than two people. It's only a valid opposition if there are two people. So again, so what's the difference between Rabbi Shimon and Ben Gamil and Rabbi Eliezer? Both must hold. You can elevate a Kohen to be a Kohen if you can bring one supporting witness. Unless there's our error, which would be two people. Unless there are two people in opposition saying he can't be a Kohen, then you don't elevate them. So where, where would Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Shimon Gamil be different? So Ella Hakabamai Skin, and what's the case here? The Mufsanon the Kohen. No, the case is where we know this guy's father was a Kohen. Ah, so now we're on the right track. We know his father was a Kohen. It says, however, There's a rumor, not a proper protest. There haven't been formal testimony based. There's just a rumor going around that he's a Ben Grusha or Ben Chalutza. So, so they demoted him. They, um, they said, okay, so look, Beisdin came along and said, look, we haven't looked into the matter properly, but we're not allowing you to act as a Kohen until we can verify it. Rashi points out, you have to say it's temporarily. Um, because we've just said you need proper aid him to, we know you need proper aid him to demote someone, and here there's just a rumor going around that he's a Ben Grusha. So, again, so they pushed him off, they said, you know what, you can't act as a coin until we get a chance to look into it, until we get a chance to carry it. But I say, the Echot for Omar... Yeah. Why do they have to go through all that? If the father knows that he was married to a, a Grusha, 
It could be the father's not around to ask. could be uh, they've lost the ksuba from the father. Maybe they don't have a proper way of verifying it. So that's what they're going to look into. They're going to try and get the ksuba, see was his mother divorced, or they're going to try and get Aidan to find out, to testify that the mother was divorced or was single or was single before she got married. You know, that's, that's yeah, what they have to verify. Maybe you can't even trust the father. Um, I'm not sure in this case whether we could trust the father. If you ask the father, were you married to a, a widow or a divorced woman? And he tells us, do we trust him? I'm not sure. But he would have to bring... The father him. knows he was married to a divorcee or a widow. Yeah. And uh, then he knows his son is no longer a Kohen. Yeah, so, I mean, so I'm just saying, but can we trust the father? I'm saying, if we, we're trying to verify, there's a rumor going around that this guy, we know his father is a Kohen, or was a Kohen, we're not sure, I'm not sure whether the father's alive or not anymore. Um, we know the father's a Kohen, but there's a rumor going around that he's a Ben Grusha. So, so if the father comes and tells us, no, it's not a true rumor, can we believe the father? And th- that's what I'm saying, I'm not sure, not sure if we can actually believe the father in this case. But if it's established that he's no longer a Kohen, what is his status then? So he would be a Yisrael, yeah. If he is a Ben Grusha, he would be a Yisrael. At the moment, what they've kind of they've kind of said, what did they put him on? I think it's called ad- administrative leave. They're like, look, we're not sure. There's good, there's strong rumors going around that you're Ben Grusha. We need to look into it more. We're not going to let you act as a Kohen. So that's it. So then one witness came and said, I know he's a Kohen. Let's say he says, I knew the mother and father when they got married, and he wasn't. But Askinu, so they elevated him again, so they reinstated him as a Kohen. It says, Then two witnesses came and said, No, he is a Ben Grusha. We knew the mother when she married his father, and she was a divorced woman. So they demoted him a second time. Then a single aide came for Omar Yodana Bey, the Kohen who, no, I know that he's a Kohen. Now, so, so what's the case? It's quite, a, quite an elaborate case. First, they, de- they temporarily demoted him, but they did demote him from being a Kohen because there was a strong rumor going around. Then a single witness came and said, ah, he's a good aide. He, sorry, he's a good Kohen. So we re-promoted him because there was one aide versus a rumor, we're going to believe the one aide. Then two witnesses came and said, no, he's a Ben Grusha. So we re-demoted him because the one witness versus two witnesses is nothing. Then another single witness came to say, no, he's a good kind. But now we have two kind. <laughs> two witnesses that he's a good kind. Again. And, and that's what the next line says, from the Eidos, you can join Eidos. Even though the Eidim are coming at different times. The one came last month, and then two Aiden came in the interim and said he's not a good coin. And now another one came. You can join the two Aiden. So you have two Aiden saying he's a good coin and two Aiden saying he's not a good coin. But so what's the concern? So again, remember, all we're coming to do is explain the Machlokes, um, Rabbi Shimu and Gamil. So first thing Rashi addresses is, but wait, now we have two witnesses versus two witnesses. So shouldn't you go strict? So he says, no, in this case, we would go after his Chazaka. What's his Chazaka? That he is a coin. Because... We, uh, Rashi says he had a chazaka from one witness. Um, Tosos are not happy with that. What, what did Tosos... Um, where was Tosos? Yeah, let's leave. Um, but, so, so he has a chazaka of being a kohen, and therefore 
when we got these two witnesses arguing with these two witnesses, we're going to leave his status as a coin. But hacha, but also now we said according to Rabbi Eliezer, we're trying to find the difference between Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. One says we elevate him, and someone says we don't. So vahacha, but meichush lezilus at the beidina kamafligi. Here they're arguing in the. Are we concerned about the? Reputation of based in the disgrace of based in. Tanakamu somri kivin daachtino lomaskinen leich hashin elizuse bedaybino. Rabbi Elazar says no. Once we've demoted him, we can't reinstate him because people will come to mock the based in. But Rabbi Shimon Gamliel somvar ana nachtinen leich ba ana maskinen leich elizuse de baidina loich hashinan. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says no. We demoted him. We said he's not a kohen. Well now we have to reinstate him. I, again, I think the added factor why here we concern about um, based in because. Last week they demoted him. Then they re-promoted him. This week they demoted him again. And now they're going to reinstate him. Like, what's up with Bayesdin? And they'll lose their respect. So that's Rabbi Lazar says we've got to be concerned about that and therefore we're not going to promote him in this case. There was one witness and then there were two witnesses and then there was another one. We're not going to promote him in this case. Whereas Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, well, we're the ones who demoted him. We've got to take responsibility and re-promote him. That's the Machlokas Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Lazar. So now, Rabashi, Rabashi challenged this. Well, that's Afilu, Trevetreinami. Well, then even if it's 2 verse 2. I, again, the Mishnah said, we don't elevate him based on the testimony of one witness. Now, how did we describe that case? Where there was one witness to elevate him, then two witnesses to demote him, and then another witness to elevate him again to Malim the Kahuna. So, but the Mishnah said we don't elevate him based on one witness, implying that if there were two witnesses, we would elevate him. But according to how we've explained it, what difference does it make whether the witness comes one at a time or two together? Either way, it's based in fluctuating and it's a disgrace of based in. So it should make Again, the Mishnah seemed to emphasize that specifically because there's one witness, implying that if there were two witnesses, it would be fine, we would elevate him. And all of a sudden, um, and so, 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 yeah, so why do we emphasize in the Mishnah that it's one witness where it should make no difference whether it's one or two witnesses in regards to the Zilus of the Beisdin? So he says, Elam Ravashi, Ravashi says, They're actually arguing on whether you join two witnesses together. And it's also the following Mashalokas, which we will now bring. It's a, I think it's a mission in Sanhedrin. But basically, we're actually saying, when you had this one aide who came last month and said he's a good coin, and now a month later, you have another aide that says, no, he's a good coin. Do we join those Aedim? We know we always need two Aedim, but can you have, or do the Aedim have to come as a unit and say, we testify? So that's the, that's the Machlokas. Rebbe Lazo, we'll, we'll see, we're going to bring two Machlokas now, but we'll, we'll see Rebbe Lazo would hold that. You don't meet Starev Aedim. If they come separately, you only count it as one Aed, and that's why we can't elevate him. Whereas Rabbi Shimon Kamil says, no, you do combine. Just because they're coming independently, we do have two Adim. One from last month and one from this month, so we should count it as two Adim. That's the Machloi case, Rabbi Lozen and Rabbi Shimon. Let's see it inside. The Tanya we learned in Hebrew, we only trust, we only accept the Adim. If the, this is not relevant to our case. This is just the first case in that Mishnah over there. It says, you only trust 
You only accept the Adim to join them together if they saw the same action. Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha Omar Afilu Rabbi ben Karcha says, no, even if it happens one after the other. Rashi explains the case there is, for example, one sees Shimon lend the money and one hears Ruvain admit that he was lent the money. So now we have two witnesses that Ruvain owes the money. Just one saw the borrowing of the money and the one saw the Ruvain admit that he owes the money. So, so they testifying to the same loan, but they didn't see the same event. The one saw the borrowing. So there, that's what um, the Tanakama says. It's not good aidus. They have to both see the same thing. And Rishua ben Kocha says, no, it's good enough. They both testify to the same thing. We can say, is that there? Then, the aim... Now another machlok is independent. Their testimony is not accepted unless they are testifying together. And Rabbi Nosson Omer, No, we can listen to the one aid today. And then at a later date, when the second aid comes, his friend, then we can listen to his testimony. So we see this is the machlok, as we want to say. It's the last machlok, is the machlok of our Mishnah. When Rabbi Lassar says we don't elevate him based on the testimony of one witness, what does he mean? We don't elevate someone based on two witnesses testifying at two separate times. Because that only counts as one witness. So in our case, remember, we have a, we have his his uh, kuhuna is contested. So it says if we only have one witness. Whereas Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says no. Just because they're not there at this on the same day, we do have two witnesses to the fact that he's a coin, and you can accept the testimony and elevate him. Okay, now we go on to the new Mishnah. This will sound fairly similar to something we've discussed in the past. It says, Aisha a woman who was imprisoned. Remember, we've discussed in the past, Aisha Sheh a woman who was kidnapped. There, it's, it's a little bit difficult to see what the distinction should be, but we'll see. But it seems more along the lines, and remember, kidnapping, we're dealing with illegal bandits, mafia, you know, thugs. Whereas imprisonment, we're dealing not not necessarily 100% deserving, but along the lines of she did something bad and she's in jail deservedly. That's the that would be one of the main distinctions. And we'll see. Oh, so we'll see. Can we can we consider her as protected? Remember, if she's and and then just to go back to review and halacha, if she commits adultery willfully. Then she becomes also to her husband. If she's raped, then only if her husband's a kohen does she become also to her husband. And that's going to be what plays up in the If she's imprisoned because of um, non-Jews. Oh, and interesting enough, it's, it's, it's a, I couldn't work it out exactly, but it seems to be a strange scenario where the non-Jews have their own courts, but they can't of um, subject to to Jewish rule, they're not going to be totally uh, disregarding of rules, but they do have their own uh, courts and jails, etc. So, Ha'isha Shenech Beshavidei Kochobim, a woman who is imprisoned by non-Jews, if it's for a monetary matter, she owed money and she wasn't paying back, so they put her in jail. It says, she's permitted to her husband. However, if she's put in jail because of a capital crime, she's going to be put to death. If for whatever reason she's released at a later date, she's forbidden to her husband. Now, interesting this house. So just on the surface, the difference is 
if she owes money and they obviously trying to get her husband to pay or someone to pay or her to regret it, if they assault her, they're going to get in trouble and someone's going to, like the, the, the Supreme Court, whoever is going to come along and say, well, yeah, she owed you money, but now you've assaulted her, so you owe her money and scrap it. So if they want to get their money, they're going to treat her properly. Whereas where it comes to a capital case, well, then she's going to be put to death anyway. She's a free-for-all. That seems to be how they treat her. Now, there's an interesting discussion. When we say she's permitted to her husband or forbidden to her husband, or more forbidden to her husband, is that specifically to her husband if he's a kohen? I, are we only concerned that she will be raped? Or is it she's even forbidden to her husband, the Yisrael? Because it does say, Asura the Bala, to her husband, and it doesn't distinguish. So Rashi says, yeah. It's referring to whether her husband is a Kohen or a Yisrael. And he says, by the fact that a woman who would be put in jail because she's going to be sentenced to death would be treated so hefker and assaulted, we can assume at some point she did it willfully. That's the concern here, according to Rashi. Quite a harsh assumption. Many others are not happy with that. This is what, all of a sudden, a woman's uh, being assaulted, you're going to come along and say, well, maybe she did it at some point willfully. This especially, there's a Gomorrah later on that implies not so. So they say it's specifically a HS, Kohen. That would be Asur. Uh, we, we never assume that she's right. Tosfos have, a, have an interesting approach. He says, this is the bottom Tosfos. So he says, through Nefoshah she becomes also to her husband. He says, Even if her husband is a Jew, why? Maybe she did it willfully in order to find favor in the eyes that they don't kill her. She might have tried to seduce them to save her life so that she's so that she's uh, popular amongst them and then they'll save her or to almost as a bribe so that's so to say there is a chance not not that we suspect her of willfully like going along with it but that she actually wants to actively try to save herself and that's why a woman who's in prison because the nefoshes would be also to her husband so this that we can go lenient when it's for a monetary case is only where the Jews are stronger than the non-Jews. I, because then again, they're going to keep to some uh, level of responsibility. It says, where the non-Jews are completely in power. Even if she was only in prison because of a monetary case, we were, um, they, they still might have assaulted her and taken advantage of her. So that's uh, Rav Shmuel by Rav Yitzhak makes this distinction of whether who's, who's really in charge. Are the Jews really in charge or the non-Jews really in charge? If the non-Jews, granted we're discussing a non-Jewish run court, maybe it was a non-Jewish city in Eretz Israel or something, but if the Jews are really in power, they're going to be more respectful to what's fair. But if they're in total power, then we can't assume that they're. Now, Mosif Rabbi, Rabbi challenges us. They testified regarding a daughter, a Jewish woman, who was um, taken as a pledge in Ashkelon. She was a security on her own loan. She said, basically, if I don't pay you back, you can take me as your slave. Now her family were all Kohanim distanced themselves from her. They said there's no chance we marrying this girl who was taken as a pledge for her loan. 
And there were witnesses who testified that she was never in seclusion and she was never raped by the non-Jews who took her as a slave. And he said to them, so this is, they said to um, the family, the Chachamim said to the family, If you're going to believe these witnesses that she was taken as the security for her loan, and she became a slave to the non-Jews, then you also have to believe the witnesses that she was not in seclusion or raped by them. And if you're not going to believe that she was not in seclusion and not raped, well then you also can't believe that she was taken as a pledge. I almost, the Aedim, the Aedim, it's the same Aedim who are saying she was taken as a security, who are saying that she was kept pure. So if you're going to believe the Aedim, then you have to believe the whole story. If you're going to reject the Aedim, reject the whole story, but either way you can marry this woman. Now the Gomorrah brings out his priest. It says, Ashkelon was in the hands of the non-Jews. Rashi says it was in the hands of the Plishtim. And especially in the times that they were discussing when it was after the Golos, the exile. So here, the Yad Oivdei Kuchom Tekifal Atzmom, Uktaniana teaches, Hurunu in Nichbashalon. It specifies she was taken as a pledge, but not if she was imprisoned. I remember, taken as a pledge is... Um, she's now their property. If she's the, taken as a security for a loan she can pay, she's their property. So they're going to treat her much, they're going to be much freer with her. But not if she's imprisoned. Which, what do we see? Clearly, again, this whole point is coming to argue. We wanted to make the distinction. If a woman's taken over a monetary matter, if the non-Jews are in power, she's also if the Jews are in power she's permitted to her husband comes along Rabbi and shows his case no where it's specifically where she's taken as a pledge either non-Jews have full power over her that we assume she's been raped but where she was just imprisoned by them we don't assume that she was raped so Gamal says no who I even if she was imprisoned oh, so why is it discussing a case of where she was a security for the loan because that was the case. That's why they discussed that case, but it would be the exact same. Um, so just, let's just say this outside once more, and we'll leave it here for today. Again, we, we brought that if a woman is imprisoned over a monetary matter, she remains permitted to her husband because she is, we assume they're going to treat her well because they want to have as much leverage as they can to get their money back. However, Rebbe Shmuel Barak Yitzchak said in the name of Rav, and specifically where the Jews are really in control. Because if the non-Jews are in control, they're going to treat her badly regardless. Rava said, there's no proof. Rava says, I've got a challenge on that. Because we've got a case where it's discussing a case where there's a concern that she was raped. But it's specifically, again, it's where the non-Jews are in control. And it's specifically where she was the security. She became their slave. She pledged herself as a, against her loan. Um, that's where we concern she's raped, implying that if she was in prison, even though they're in control, there's no concern she was uh, raped. So the, and the, so the Gemara says, no, that's no proof, because maybe that's just the case that happened. That's why they're discussing where she pledged herself. But any time a woman ends up in the court of a non-Jew over a monetary matter, if they are in control, you still have to be concerned that she's assaulted there. Okay, we'll leave it there for